The accounting firm of Haynes, Eisenbarger, and Skiba presents the 23rd College Football Hall of Fame season of Fighting Irish Preview. And now, the Banditos' fresh made daily kickoff with your host, Phil Houck. In the week leading up to the Virginia game, one of the more perplexing storylines was, where is the Notre Dame pass rush? Through three games, a rightfully hyped and experienced group of defensive ends led by All-American candidate Julian Aquara, had just three sacks. And of those three, Julian Aquara had none. And then came halftime against Virginia, and there were three new storylines. First of all, 12-point favorite Notre Dame was trailing 17-14. Secondly, Cavalier quarterback Bryce Perkins was having the game of his life, 22-25, 235 yards and two touchdowns. And three, the Irish pass rush actually had been impressive in the first half with three sacks. In fact, Bryce Perkins in the first 30 minutes had been under relentless pressure from the Notre Dame pass rush, but he still had managed on play after play, just in time, impressive pinpoint passes that gave Virginia a halftime advantage. And then the third quarter happened. Julian Aquara. Khalid Kareem, Adi Ogundehi, Jameer Jones, and finally, three games of pent-up energy and frustration was unleashed, and Bryce Perkins found out what it was like to get in the way of a full-scale jailbreak. Aquara sack, loss of seven. Jones sack, loss, forced fumble. Tagliavoa, 48-yard scoop and scamper. Kareem sack. Loss of four. Ogundehi, tackle for loss of three. Akora, sack, forced fumble. Ogundehi, 28-yard scoop and score. Kareem, sack, loss of six. One quarter, five sacks. One other tackle for loss, two forced fumble. One defensive touchdown. Virginia had six possessions in the third quarter, ran 20 plays, and gained 22 yards. And an Aquara, Kareem, Ogundehi, Jones, jailbreak had turned the tide in an important football game. Banditos with three Fort Wayne locations, Waynedale, Georgetown, and Glenbrook Commons, Banditos is fresh made daily. Now stay tuned for Fighting Irish Insight from America's foremost authority on Notre Dame football, Tim Priester, senior editor of irishillustrated.com. After these words from Haynes, Eisenbarger, and Skiba, Sheer McCulloch Auctioneers, and Coors Light, the official beer of Saturday morning. This is Fighting Irish Preview. The University of Notre Dame exemplifies dedication to hard work, integrity, and personal values which result in success in the classroom and on the football field. The professionals at Haynes, Eisenbarger, and Skiba, like Notre Dame, know the same dedication, and their experience and ability provides peace of mind. Combining local expertise with access to national and international experts through their affiliation with BDO, the fifth largest accounting firm in the world. Tax planning, tax compliance, auditing, business valuation, and estate planning. The full-service accounting firm of Haynes, Eisenbarger, and Skiba, like the Irish, has what it takes to help you achieve success. Located in Fort Wayne near Jefferson Point, Haynes, Eisenbarger, and Skiba proudly supports Notre Dame football and congratulates all those who are a part of the greatest tradition in all of sports. Go Irish! 
This is Art Salzberg. I don't endorse everybody, but I found a company that I think provides a great service. The company is Shearer McCulloch, and what they do is targeted specifically for seniors, people who may be thinking about downsizing and are overwhelmed by the thought of what it's going to take. Shearer McCulloch will pack you up, move you, and then sell your house and everything that's left. Now that's the most comprehensive relocation service anywhere, and what I call in sports terms covering all the bases. Sharon McCulloch uses an international auction platform to make sure your possessions are seen by the right buyers. They're looking to get top dollar from people who have an interest in the special treasures you've collected over the years. Sharon McCulloch is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and highly recommended by leading retirement communities and law firms. If Sharon and I decide to make a change in lifestyle, we'll be calling Sharon McCulloch at 441-8636. That's 441-8636. We trust them, and we know they'll make things easy and profitable. Coors Light presents a word from Kirk Herbstreet. It's Saturday morning, and that means it's time for college football. It means your fridge is filled with Coors Light. It means last night's pizza is this morning's breakfast. And washing it down with your first Coors Light of the day is worthy of an ah. It's Saturday morning, and it means showers are optional. Make Saturday mornings even more chill with a fridge full of Coors Light, the official beer of Saturday morning. 2019 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Now back to Fighting Irish Preview with your host, Phil Howell. Tim Priester, things last Saturday. At one point, not going too well for the Irish. In the first half, Bryce Perkins playing the game of his life. Ian Book was not. And Virginia took the halftime lead, and then they go onside to kick off the second half. They recover. But the Irish never flinched. In fact, they played defensively the best third quarter I've seen in a long time. Tim, you have to be impressed by the resiliency of this team. We saw it against Georgia, too. No doubt. And I want to start by saying I got a great deal of respect for Bronco Mendenhall, what he does with his programs. He did it at BYU. He's doing it in Virginia, and they're going to be a good football team under him. But no, in Notre Dame, I mean, Brian Kelly has preached this the last few years, and and the the team has put it to work. They uh, they hang in there, and you know when he doesn't panic, they don't panic. Uh, they turn the the pass rush loose. It got started in the first half, but the big play by Jameer Jones, who was on scout team all week, and Dalen Hayes's injury got him on the field, and it was his um, his strip sack that that led to a 21-0 run and eliminated that 17-14 deficit. So give them a lot of credit. Like you said, Phil, just like at Georgia, they showed great resiliency. And uh, at home, they took care of business. Yeah, and you know, as dominant as Perkins was in the first half, I got to ask, was it an adjustment that Notre Dame made, or did Notre Dame just wear them down with that uh, relentless pressure they were bringing? I think there was a distinct advantage with Notre Dame's defensive line against Virginia's offensive line. They destroyed that right tackle. They eventually had to take him out of the game. I think he gave up five of the eight sacks. And then the back end of the coverage was better because uh, you could see Perkins holding on to the football a bit longer. And I get why Perkins was so patient in the, the pocket. I mean, he needed to be in order for them to win. But uh, when, when that avalanche came crumbling down on him, there wasn't a whole lot that he could do. It was just a thing of beauty. Well, whatever caused it, defensive coordinator Clark Lee deserves a lot of credit. I, I want to talk a little bit in depth about Clark Lee. Young guy, 37 years old, uh, came over from Wake Forest in 2017 along with Mike Elko. Uh, and when Elko left after his first season, 
Brian Kelly promoted Clark Lee. What kind of guy is Lee, and what did Brian Kelly see in him that made him take a chance on a relatively inexperienced candidate? Well, he's very cerebral. He's, he's a very intelligent guy. He's very calm. His relationship with his players is fantastic. He deals with them on an a, a adult basis. Um, I mean, really everything that you can. I, I think first and foremost, I think he's a quality human being. I think it starts there, and everything else comes along with that. And Brian Kelly saw it, and and I think that Jack Swarbrick saw it as well. He was involved in the process to some extent, uh, and Brian Kelly thought it was a good hire, and and, and that was seconded by by his boss. So um, just a, I mean, I just I, I really think it starts with being a good human being, and and um, his players respect that. He has great knowledge of the game. You know, he helped Mike Elko form his defensive philosophy. It wasn't like, uh, uh, you know, he was on the outskirts of it and then uh, picked it up once he started working for Elko. He helped form it. So he's a very smart guy. He relates very well with his players. And he's certainly going to be a head coach someday. He'll have to go somewhere else for him to end up at Notre Dame. But I really think that long-term, as you said, Phil, 37 years old, I think long-term, down the road after he goes somewhere else, he could possibly be the head coach in Notre Dame. Uh, he could be, and uh, maybe we shouldn't talk him up too much because he is a, a young and rising candidate to be a head coach someplace uh, probably sooner than later. And, and I was struck this week, uh, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa uh, referred to him, credited Lee with really being a, a father figure to him, and that, that says a lot about how he relates to players. And one more question about Lee, though, and this this dovetails into this week's game and and the defensive coordinator that the Irish will face, and it's somebody that, of course, we know well, Brian Van Gorder. How is Clark Lee's style of teaching different from Brian Van Gorder's? Uh, 180 degrees. Uh, he makes Be it gentle a lot. now. <laughs> <laughs> he, I mean, he makes it a lot simpler exactly how he does that. I'm not sure that I can exactly put that in words, but you hear the players talk about it. And really, the only player that I ever knew in the two years and four games that Brian Van Gorder was defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, the only player I ever heard actually knew what he was talking about was Joe Schmidt. I mean, in terms of implementing the defensive system that that uh, that he wanted to put out there, Joe Schmidt seemed to understand it. I can guarantee you the vast majority of the other ones did not. And that's a tough way to play defense when you're not sure what you're doing, when you're not really sure what your coordinator is asking of you, you're going to be very indecisive. And we saw that on a weekly basis. Uh, a- absolutely. It was obvious to the to the naked eye, as they say on the field, that Notre Dame defenders reacted very slowly when Brian Van Gorder was coordinating that defense. Tim, Julian Aquara was the dominant player for the Irish among all that dominance we saw in the third quarter. Three sacks, two forced fumbles, one fumble recovery, uh, game ball recipient. Brian Kelly talked about him, uh, besides being a great player and a great performance this week, he talked almost surprisingly about how Okwara's leadership has come around in the last year. Talk about that. It wasn't that he was selfish per se, but I just don't think that he, you know, he didn't start playing football. He didn't really start caring about football until his junior year in high school, so I don't really think that he knew how to be a good teammate and it was a lot about you know him and his individual sacks and his stats but 
he said that he realized I spoke with, with Julian O'Quarra this week and he said that he, you know, realized with guys like Drew Tranquil leaving the leaving Notre Dame and, and Jerry Tillery that somebody had to be that person. And I know, you know, certainly Clark Lee's talking to him about that. I know Mike Elston has talked to him about it till he was blue in the face and it finally kicked in. I can relate. I as a baseball player Nord Notre Dame uh, between my junior and senior year, I finally came to the realization that they, they weren't actually playing baseball in Nordane, uh to suit my purposes. And it's all part of the it's all part of the growing up process. And I think that's what Julian O'Quara went through. Well, that that leadership package, I think, really makes Julian a complete package. And I expect to see him join his brother uh, Romeo in the NFL next year. Uh, Tim Drew White, seven more tackles. His presence, I think, has really solidified this defense. Assess Drew White's play to this point of the season. I think he's been really good. I mean, at, at worst, he's been solid, and I think I, I think he's been really good. He already has six tackles for loss. Yeah, you know, I compared him. I compared him to Joe Schmidt because there are a lot of similarities, and a bunch of people jumped on me saying, "What a better athlete Drew White is." Well, he certainly is that, and that he was a legit four-star athlete played a little bit of outside linebacker but you know where I compare him to Joe Schmidt very smart very instinctive they're built the same they play the same position uh they're they're smart players uh, he's just been I, I he has pulled it all together Asmar Bilal has now followed suit and you mentioned for a and what he's been doing so that entire linebacking core has been really, really good, and it would have been hard for us to project that a couple of weeks ago. Again, and Clark Lee's got his fingerprints, I'd say, all over that. Well, not all the news was good from Saturday. A couple of key injuries that, uh, that we'll go into in a little more detail in the next segment. Uh, but first of all, let's talk about where the Irish go and, and how they fill those positions that are now lost. First of all, Sean Crawford, sadly, who's faced so much adversity and injury in his career, He's out for at least uh, several weeks. So who replaces him at corner? Tariq Bracey, uh, a kid that we like a lot coming out of high school, three-star guy, very undersized or very weak uh, by college standards coming into the college game. I think he's got great uh, coverage skills. I thought that coming out of high school. He's still learning. There's some up-and-down moments. I thought most of most of the Georgia game were uh, was up moments for him. Uh, struggled a little bit against Virginia's receivers. <laughs> we knew about Joe Reed. I think I talked about him last week, but, but Hasis Dubois, number eight, was absolutely outstanding and very difficult for, for Bracey to handle. But he'll be in the starting lineup. It'll be interesting to see what corners come in after him. Dante Vaughn has been given opportunities. He's failed at most of those. I would think Houston Griffith would be maybe the next guy in line. But there is another true freshman, K.J. Wallace, who it was listed as the backup nickel to Crawford. I don't know whether he'll actually take over that role or not, but keep an eye on true freshman number 16, K.J. Wallace. He could be next in line. Well, lots of options there. I like Tariq Bracey, and, uh, but uh, the loss of Sean Crawford uh, with a gruesome injury, and it's surprising to me that he's expected to be back after that injury, really uh, a concern, particularly with uh, not that we're looking past anybody, but that those USC receivers are waiting for the Irish. Uh, now, Tim Dalen Hayes also out for the season, but the defensive end position is so well-stocked, and we've talked about that on this program, it could end up actually being a blessing in disguise, and it might work out really well. Well, a blessing in disguise for Notre Dame. I'm not sure that Dalen Hayes is necessarily right. looking at it that way, but I know what you're saying. Yeah, who would have thought going into this game 
that when you came out of it, it, it would be Dalen Hayes that would be redshirting and Jameer Jones that will likely play. Jones came in and played very well. He had the, the play that really turned the tide. Um, and I would imagine that they just go ahead and go forward and use his eligibility. He's the number four defensive end uh, in the pecking order. And he did a, he really did a, a great job. They have some, Ovia Gofu, or Gufo rather, is a, is a guy that came in, I thought did a pretty good job, number 29. Uh, but Jameer Jones is a, a senior. He's a guy that when he's played, he's been productive. I would imagine that he's the, the fourth defensive end moving forward. Yeah, and, and Dalen Hayes already has announced that he will, in fact, take his fifth year. So he'll be back, uh, and that could work out really well long-term for the Irish. Uh, okay, Tim, other side of the ball, let's talk Ian Book. 17 of 25, 165 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. That's not bad, but... Let's face it, Book has underperformed expectations most of the season. He's not playing badly, but he's not up to the standard that he set last year. Any theory on why? Not really. I mean, everybody wants to blame. You want to blame Brian Kelly because of the you know second-year syndrome people have talked about with his quarterbacks. I don't think it's that because it's Chip Long's offense. Is it Chip Long? Eh, you know, I mean, maybe there could have been things done better in the third quarters of the last two games. I've had people say Tommy Reese, he's not experienced enough. I can't I can't think of a better guy to be Notre Dame's quarterback coach than Tom Reese. I think it's on Ian Book, and I don't know exactly, you know, what the deal is, what's going through his head. I know the first snap of the game for him last week, he rolls to his right and he runs out of bounds for a five yard loss. He had two hundred and fifty guys on the sideline that he could have could have thrown the football to, and he runs out of bounds for for a five yard loss. So I, I think it's on Ian Book. Ian Book has to get his head straight. He has to be a better decision maker. I do want to say this. I think that when the tide and the public opinion goes against a quarterback, what happens is that people forget about the positive things he did. You know, he started eight for eight in the Virginia game and did lead them to two scoring drives uh, in the first half. So he's still doing some good things. But, I, you know, when you're a 14-game starter and you started out as well as you did last year, the expectations are going to rise, and he hasn't met those expectations. Well, he's expected to be a star, and and so far he's been a, a pretty good player who's managed the games well, and, and there's a lot to be said for that on a team that has a lot of weapons. Uh, but I think Book, until he, you know, part of it is focus, but the other part of it, teams are on to him. They know what he's going to do because so far he hasn't shown he can really stretch the field, and that's almost a cliché. But uh, hopefully this week he'll get the opportunity to show that he can throw the long ball, and that may loosen things up a bit. Uh, Tim, I was happy to see the Irish grind out some yards in the fourth quarter, and that was mostly Tony Jones Jr. Sebo Flemister also did some good things. Uh, I thought the offensive line performed last week, perhaps in that regard. They, they've been they've been keeping Ian Book clean. They haven't been giving up sacks, but the, the run blocking has been questionable. But I thought they performed about as well as they have all season. They really did, especially when you consider the the opponent. Virginia came into this game uh, allowing 75 yards per game on the ground, a little bit like 2.1 per carry. Over the course of 60 minutes, they did a pretty darn good job. They got most of the yards in the fourth quarter, but – you know, there, I, I think there were. I think the numbers in the first two to three quarters were a little bit deceptive. It was productive despite not big numbers for Notre Dame, and uh, yeah, the offensive line started paving away for Tony Jones. I thought Tony Jones ran really hard. Sebo Flemister, the eleven-yard touchdown run where he broke two tackles and then a checkdown pass for thirteen yards 
where he was elusive. I'd really like to see him get more opportunities and gain some confidence and become that that fast running back compliment to Jafar Armstrong when he comes back in a couple of weeks. Yeah, Jafar coming back, and uh, maybe that's a trio that can do some things for the Irish running game. And uh, Tony Jones, I think, has just been solid all season long. Uh, Tim, an exchange between you and Brian Kelly last weekend postgame that got everyone in the room laughing, especially me. He accused you of asking questions that are just too hard. Now, you've dealt with Notre Dame head coaches uh, in press conferences going back a few years. How does Brian Kelly rate for cooperating with the media? <laughs> well, I, I certainly didn't take anything that he said to me in, in the wrong way. He was just having fun. I think he's been great. I mean, not, not just to me. He's been great to, uh, to a lot of people. He's been really easy to deal with. I think there's always kind of been the perception that it, it, it was not that way with Brian Kelly, and it, it always has been. I can count, literally can count on one hand the amount of times where he snapped at a reporter, and, and God knows there's been a, bad, a bunch of bad questions asked of him, including many by myself. But I think he's great. I mean, I, I think he has everything in, in perspective in terms of dealing with the media, and it certainly makes, in the grand scheme of things, it makes, uh, you know, even like during a four and eight season in 2016, it makes it better for everybody that he can handle the adversity and deal well with the media. Well, anybody that knows you, Tim, knows you are a funny guy, but uh, it's also easier to laugh, I think, for Brian Kelly uh, after a big victory like he had last Saturday. Thanks, Tim. Coming up, it's the all-time Irish hero, key to an Irish victory, injury report, and the world-famous Irish Illustrated prediction. And during the break, it's the Fighting Irish Fact of the Week, brought to you by our friends at Haynes, Eisenbarger, and Skiba. This is the 330th edition of Fighting Irish Preview. Treat each house as if it was your own. Our mission statement at Bushy's Windows, Doors, and Remodeling. Hi, I'm Jim Bushy. At Bushy's, we're proud of our home improvement products that we offer, and we are even more proud of the award-winning installers who will come to your home. Right now, take advantage of our 12-month 0% interest payment plan, and estimates are always free. So call Bushy's at 456-1247, stop into our showroom, or check out Bushy'sFW.com. Bushy's Windows, Doors, and Remodeling. Your clear choice. Your clear choice is Bushies. Your clear choice is Bushies. The Fighting Irish Fact of the Week is brought to you by our friends at the accounting firm of Haynes, Eisenbarger, and Skiba. The modern record for most points scored in a game by the Irish is 69 against Georgia Tech in 1977 and also against Pittsburgh in 1965. Haynes, Eisenberger, and Skiba is a full-service accounting firm dedicated to providing professional, personalized service and guidance for a wide range of financial and business needs. Hey, I'm Kirk Herbstreet, and I watch college football like it's my job. It is your job. I know, but sometimes I like to get out of the booth and chill. Here, have a Coors Light. Thanks. So, where was I? You're on my couch. In my spot. Oh, is this your spot? It's a nice spot. Great view. 
Make Saturday mornings even more chill with a fridge full of Coors Light, the official beer of Saturday morning. 2019 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Now back to Fighting Irish Preview with your host, Phil Halk. This is Fighting Irish Preview. The Bowling Green Falcons visit the number nine Irish this week. TV coverage on NBC starts at 3.30 p.m. Kickoff is at 3.42 South Bend time. And it's now time for the all-time Irish hero brought to you by the Marina at Lake Gage. Chris Craft, Mastercraft, and Premier Pontoons, we share your boating passion. And now we continue our series on the great defensive players of the last 60 years. Last week, 1973 Consensus All-American Mike Townsend. This week, another defensive back who is also a Consensus All-American, Luther Bradley. In 1973, a young man from Muncie, Indiana, thought he wanted to go to Tennessee or maybe even Purdue, but he liked the fact that Araparsegian wanted him to play defensive back, and he liked Araparsegian. So he headed to South Bend, and a few months later, Luther Bradley was in the starting lineup for the Irish as a true freshman. By October, he was shutting down USC All-American Lynn Swan in a critical game en route to the first of two national championships his teams won at Notre Dame. Tim Luther Bradley played every game in the four years he was at Notre Dame for and set the career record for 17 interceptions. But one of the most impressive things about him, I thought, was his high level of play from his very first day on campus. He was a great football player. Went on to have a, a, a long and successful career in the NFL with the Detroit Lions. But I distinctly remember the you mentioned about hitting the ground running as a freshman. He made the big hit on Lynn Swan in 73 in Notre Dame Stadium, the Eric Pennick game when Eric Pennick had the 85-yard touchdown run, and it was just a real tone setter for that day. I also remember him, and I'm not even sure if this is, I don't even know what his dimensions were, but I always thought of him as a as a bigger, uh, more physical, maybe not necessarily, necessarily bigger, but a physical corner back in the day when, you know, most of the time you didn't think about cornerbacks as being uh you know, physical presence uh, at that position. Well, I think Lynn Swan would agree that he was a very physical cornerback because go YouTube that hit, Luther Bradley, uh, Lynn Swan, and, and it'll pop up. Luther Bradley was a first-round draft pick in 1978 of the Detroit Lions where he played for four years. He also spent three years in the USFL and is that league's all-time leading interception man. Luther Bradley, another Marina at Lake Gage, all-time Irish hero. The Marina at Lake Gage, we love boats. And it's now time for the Aspen Mortgage Key to an Irish victory. Tim Bowling Green is 1-3, like six other teams on the Irish schedule. They have enjoyed a bye week before taking on the Irish. Their last game was a 62-20 loss to Kent State. They do own a 46-3 victory over FCS Morgan State on opening day. Oh, by the way, Tim, Morgan State is 0-4. On offense, the Falcons want to run the ball first, and they are led by dual-threat quarterback Darius Wade, a graduate transfer from Boston College. Wade is a 57% passer and has thrown for three touchdowns and three interceptions. Other Falcons to keep an eye on are running back Andrew Clare, who is coming off injury, but has potential, and six foot four Quentin Morris, who leads Bowling Green in receiving. Overall, Bowling Green is 107th nationally in total offense, 127th in red zone offense. That is out of 130 teams ranked. 
Defensively, you get Brian Van Gorder. And, of course, we know Van Gorder. When his defenses get what he is preaching, they can actually be pretty good. But when they don't, which in the last five years or so, that has been most of the time, confusion reigns and they give up lots of points. This season, they are giving up 38 points per game, and that ranks 120th in the NCAA Uh, To find some bright spots, Bowling Green has pass protected pretty well. They don't turn the ball over a lot, and they are averaging three sacks per game. Tim, in the three complete seasons since 2015, a season when Bowling Green uh, was an impressive 10-4, and they have gone a combined 9-27. and New this season, head coach Scott Leffler, a college roommate of Notre Dame defensive line coach Mike Elston, has coordinated offenses at Temple, Auburn, Virginia Tech, and Boston College. But at Bowling Green, he really has his work cut out for him. What is the Aspen Mortgage key to an Irish victory? Bowling Green is several years away from really being competitive in, in the back. And, you know, I mean, the, the, the key for Notre Dame, when you consider that they're coming off of, of really two very emotional games at Georgia and then Brian Kelly, saying that the Virginia game would be a defining moment, and it, it was for them. The key for me, for Notre Dame, is find a way to remain focused. Their talent is certainly going to outshine Bowling Green. It doesn't really matter if they make some mistakes, per se, as long as they're focused and they maintain their traits that Brian Kelly talks about. So, um, you know, just find a way to, to remain motivated. Plus, you have USC next week. So this is the ultimate trap game, except that Bowling Green's not, not good enough to beat Notre Dame. Well, you say it's focus. I'm going to call it just do your job, and that is Tim Priester's Aspen Mortgage key to an Irish victory. And Tim Priester, who is this week's Aspen Mortgage key player for the Irish? And you and I had a little talk about this off air, and uh, I think we agree. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you can look at, you know, for a second I thought Siebel Flemister because he could be a guy that could get a whole bunch of carries in this game, but for you and me, it's Ian Book. Ian Book has to be more focused and play better football, not so much uh, for this week, but building up to next week when they have the big rivalry game with USC. He's just got to be more efficient. Uh, he can't miss the open receivers that are running around, which has happened frequently. He can't run, you know, he can't yield ground, which ends up, you know, being negative plays one way or another, whether it's sack or an incompletion. He's just got to be better and more focused. Uh, I know that's easy to say, but I think the way he plays this week will go a long way toward the way he plays the following week against USC. Okay, Ian Book, and that is your Aspen Mortgage key Irish player this week. Aspen Mortgage, for all your mortgage needs, call 486-LOAN. And it's now time for the Injury Report, brought to you by Indiana Physical Therapy. Your choice for physical therapy, now with 19 Indiana locations. Uh, Tim, a couple of injuries of significance against Virginia. How do the Irish stand health-wise heading into Game Five? Yeah, no Dalen Hayes, no Sean Crawford. You know that's that's really, I mean, two big blows for the defensive side of the football. You do have Jameer Smith, who's capable, and we'll see how uh, Tariq Bracey holds up next week against USC. Chase Claypool, you know, was bothered by a by an ankle injury. Um, I wouldn't think that he would be a player that is going to be used extensively in this game. Um, Braden Lindsay is back in action. That could be somebody that they would use extensively. But Lawrence Keyes is out, and I, we don't think it's a, it's, a, it's a foot injury or a heel injury. We don't think it's going to be significant. 
I think they're being cautious uh, so they can have him ready for next week against USC. And Tim, what's the best guess right now on Jafar Armstrong's return? <laughs> well, the last time we asked Brian Kelly about it, he said USC. I would think at worst it would be Michigan because you have the bye week after USC, but certainly they'd love him, love to have him for the Trojans. I think there's a good chance uh, that we see him against USC, but we'll know a little bit more later, uh, or I should say early next week. Well, the Irish have seemed to be healing quickly from injuries this year. Let's hope Jafar Armstrong and Sean Crawford, for that matter, continues that trend. Thanks, Tim. And that is your Indiana Physical Therapy Injury Report. And it's now time for the world-famous Irish Illustrated Prediction, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. Tim Priester, Vegas has the Irish favored by 46 points over the Falcons. The largest spread, I believe, in the 23-year history of this program. And I, I checked a few games from our past. What does America's foremost authority say? You know, again, this is all about focus, Phil. I, I, Notre Dame can't lose this game. It's just a matter of how competitive it is and how much you allow Bowling Green to hang around, and which would then, in turn, not allow you to play a lot of your backups, which you'd, you'd like to do. I, I, I don't, you know, Darius Wade, their quarterback. I don't think he's going to make many inroads. I, from watching film of Bowling Green, Green's defense, there's a couple players that I like a defensive end. Uh, a couple defensive ends, actually, but I just don't think it's a very quick, uh, effective defense, especially with uh, with Brian Van Gorder as a defensive coordinator. So I expect it to be extremely one-sided. I expect Notre Dame to get off to a very fast start. And my prediction is going to be Notre Dame 58, Bowling Green 6. 58-6 to six in favor of the Irish. That is Tim Priester's world-famous Irish Illustrator prediction. Uh, Tim, I actually think there's a few things working against the Irish uh, the last two weeks of playing emotional football against really good football teams, uh, I, I don't think there's any doubt it's going to lead to something of a letdown, especially with USC on the rise. And, and the fact that Bowling Green has had two weeks to prepare, you, you never know how that's going to work, but I expect to see some tricks that just might make something happen for the Falcons. That said, the Irish are a gritty bunch, and they are a lot better than Bowling Green. Notre Dame's second team is a lot better than Bowling Green. Notre Dame 52, Bowling Green 14. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Phil. Go Irish, and thanks for listening to Fighting Irish Preview. Special thanks to Jim Shovelin, Art Salzberg, and studio producer Adam Schenkel. Fighting Irish Preview is the copyrighted property of Judge Phil Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.